Hello and welcome to today's episode of the ANZW podcast, where we amplify the voice and profile of incredible women and allies in the ServiceNow community across Australia and New Zealand, bringing the voices of diversity and inclusion to you, whether you're taking a coffee break, walking the dog or hitting the gym. I'm Katrina Reid, a Senior Principal Strategist in the Inspire Value Team. And today I'm here with Vanessa Smith, the Senior Vice President of Industries at ServiceNow and star of today's episode. Welcome, Vanessa. Thank you so much, Kat. So our listeners will quickly pick up on the fact that you are neither Aussie nor a Kiwi. So a particularly important welcome to the podcast as our first international guest on the show. Awesome. I feel I feel honoured. Tell us a little about yourself and your career history. Sure. Well, first and foremost, before I get into the career history, I am a mother, I'm a wife, um, I've got three amazing children, one who's still young enough to live at home with me, a 13-year-old, but I also have a daughter who's 22 and another son who's 18. Um, so that's really defines me. It's my family and um, even the work that I do is all about contributing and giving back to the family. Um, but from a career perspective, I've been in tech for over 20 years. I think I'm approaching 25 years. But interestingly, my first job out of college um, was in consulting. So I've got kind of that management consulting thinking, management consulting brain, which still kind of fuels me to this day. But I stumbled into tech, I think in the year 2004 was a good time to be in tech and I haven't looked back. Um, I've been at ServiceNow for about two and a half years. And prior to ServiceNow, I spent over 16 years at SAP doing so many different roles. And I think it's Probably the best thing that ever happened to me to stumble into tech. And it's been a, a great place to grow my career, a great industry to grow my career, um, do lots of different jobs and sales and go to market and uh, really be on the cutting edge of the like third industrial revolution in the tech space. 16 years at SAP, you must have seen a lot of change in that time. Oh, my gosh. Um when you look back at it, it is quite quite incredible. So first, when I joined SAP, most of you know, I think SAP, ERP company, German-based, probably 100,000 employees current, current day. Um, but when I joined, it was well-known for doing mission-critical ERP, um, on-premise, you know, behind the firewall, um, licensing that was a totally different model than what we do here in the enterprise software space and the subscription model here at, at ServiceNow. But over my 16 years at SAP, I saw us transition from this kind of old stodgy on-premise mission critical business applications company to be a cloud company. Um, we did that through organic growth and through acquisition of pure play cloud companies. So I can tell you, even though I was at one company for 16 years, I had a, a firsthand education around digital transformation in the tech industry as we moved from an on-prem company to a cloud company. The learnings around M&A as a growth strategy and how we, we bought these mostly Bay Area-based tech companies who were cloud first, the founders still there and tried to integrate them into the SAP strategy. And um, I did roles as quota carrying salesperson, as a COE leader for like our, our version of the Inspire Value team, um, to strategic accounts, um, to post-merger integration. So I feel like I had you know seven different careers and went through this great transformational story at SAP. 
And it really did prepare me to land at a company like ServiceNow, which is a pure play, you know, cloud company, obviously, but having that experience at scale at SAP has served me well here in the ServiceNow community. Can you describe your current role for our listeners and what you love most about it? So my current role is leading what we call the industry solutions and go-to-market team here at ServiceNow. Um, it's a group of experts by industry who are really helping us position the capabilities of the ServiceNow platform in the language of our customers and the industries that they operate in. And I think one of the premises of having a team like this as we sell up in the C-suite and want to be relevant and more strategic to the things that keep the CEO, the CFO, the chief procurement officer, the head of the line of business, the head of manufacturing, is we want to be more relevant to the things that those C-suite leaders keep, um, keep them up at night. We've got to talk industry. Um, because if you think about a topic like procurement, procurement in a bank is totally different than the construct of procurement in a manufacturing company. And it's really great that our platform is so nimble, um, so agile, and has such great core differentiators that we can spread into these industry-specific areas and be really successful. And in areas where we have gaps, we've been able to really nimbly launch industry products and capabilities to really get into these newer spaces. So that's one of the that's what the team does. What excites me most about the role? It's it's a new muscle for service now. I mean, we're I'm here two and a half years, and I've been leading this team for that time, and um, I still see us in build build mode. How do we continue to ring the success that we've had of our core IT and technology workflows that we sell into the office of the CIO, which we still have a ton of growth room and growth potential around? while stepping into more business process, line of business um, types of processes and workflows. And um, it, it, again, it is a new muscle and people are coming from it from all different backgrounds, different levels of maturity, but everybody's rallying around that as a key part, key part of our growth vector. And so it's not no longer a question of should we do this industry thing, but how and how fast. And that's been really interesting to navigate over these past two and a half years. So did you always want to get into tech? No, um, like I mentioned in my opening, I, I really did fall into tech. Um, I was doing management consulting, really enjoying doing like strategy and operational consulting for companies in different industries of different sizes. I'd roll onto a project, be there anywhere from 12 weeks to six months, and then I'd roll on to another pro project. And um, as part of doing my work at, it was A.T. Kearney, at that management consulting firm, I decided to start a family. And back in the early 2000s, there was no work-life balance when you were in consulting. In fact, many times I was getting on a plane to go to the client site on Sunday night and not getting home till Friday night, really late in the evening. And as I started a family, that became, you know, not a sustainable model. I, I was missing all the important milestones in my my daughter's you know early early years and i explored doing an internal role and that sort of thing and i realized i still want to be in the cutting edge customer facing part of the business so let me find somewhere else that i can go that um is going to allow me to build on my strengths and my knowledge um but also not be on the road 80% of the time so i was living in the washington dc area and i know this is a global audience here so east coast of the us 
And I really looked for really blue chip companies with big brand names in the Washington, D.C. area where I could build my career and build on my strategy background and some of the consulting engagements I had done. And I landed on GE. Um, at the time, GE was like a top 20 company on the Fortune 500, right? Lots of conglomerates, aircraft engines, trains, NBC, um, tons of different divisions. And I joined the division in the DC area called GE Information Services or GEIS. Little did I know I was getting into tech. And what GE Information Services did at the time was it provided all the IT infrastructure for all those other GE businesses like aircraft engines, like NBC, um, like GE Med Systems. And it really gave me the backbone of how do I, as a service provider to all these different GE companies, enable their, their IT strategy. And at the time, think about this, this is like 2004, 2000, 2004 timeframe the internet was new and companies were trying to figure out how do I do B2B on the internet? And what we did as GE Information Services is really provided those early pipes for customers and suppliers to interact with each other, exchange documents, communicate together over the web and over the internet. And that was a really great foundation for what's happened you know, with the internet um, over, you know, over the last 25 years. And that's how I that's how I landed in tech, and I haven't looked back. <laughs> it sounds like you've had you've worked across a lot of different areas of technology, a lot of different roles. Is that passion for learning and change and solving problems and looking for the new opportunities? Is that something that's fueled you through your career? No, that's a really good question. Um, I definitely um, I call myself curious. Uh, I love to consume information. Um, I'm one of those leaders who I don't mind jumping on the call to hear what the team's talking about. You know, I, they may be prepping me for a really important meeting three weeks from now, but I want to join some of those early stage ideation sessions and discussions so that I can learn from the team. So I think my personality type, what does drive me is certainly curiosity um, and a learning growth mindset for sure. And if I look at the various jobs and roles and teams that I've led or been a part of in my career, I start to see a pattern. And it's been very interesting as I've grown my career to find that right path. I've found that I've had years where I'm more of a generalist leader, where I'm learning different skill sets, different capabilities, different areas from my team. And I'm really bringing that leadership, process, discipline, scalability. And I'd love to do those jobs. And then after a couple of years, though, I miss being a little bit of the expert or the subject matter expert on the topic. So I found myself go to those generalist leadership roles and then deciding, you know what, I want to lead a team or be a part of a team where I'm the expert in the room on topic XYZ. And that really is what keeps me excited and keeps me curious over time. And it's something that I imagine that I will continue to do um, you know, throughout the, the remaining years, hopefully many that I have in my career, you know, at ServiceNow and, and beyond. I think that's one of the beautiful things about the tech industry. You don't get locked in. As soon as you, you know, feel that you've done as much as you can in one role, you can pivot and try something different. And it really does give you that opportunity and flexibility to move around. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mentioned SAP growing through acquisition. So as we, we, um, 
We bought a business intelligence company. We bought an HCM, human capital management company. We bought a spend management company. Can you imagine the learning opportunities as we acquired those multiple brands and areas of, of expertise, the ability to kind of learn and grow um, through learning those businesses and being, being a part of them? Absolutely. some of the emerging technologies that you were most excited about? Uh, let me think about that answer in two ways. So emerging, emerging technologies I'm most excited about. So first, I would say in my personal life, um, the digital wallet has like changed my life. So I'm maybe like the typical woman, I've got lots of different purses and bags, and I like to change them out over time. And that whole issue with, oh my gosh, I've got a whole bunch of stuff in this bag, transitioning it to another bag, you leave something, et cetera. I have almost gone 100% digital with my wallet um, in, in the US, and I'm not sure how it is in your part of the world, but even we're getting to the point where your driver's license, which is your entry to a lot of things, is now in your digital wallet. Um, as we were going to co going through COVID, your COVID vaccination card was in your digital wallet. We all know our credit cards for digital payments in your digital wallet. So all of a sudden, I went from buying these big purses, which I tucked, um, throw a, a ton of stuff in, loyalty cards, credit cards, COVID vaccination cards, driver's license, library cards. Now I have my phone. And I have a little pocket on the back of my phone where I put up to two cards and I'd say 90% of the time, I don't need anything else. So it streamlined my life um, and made me lose a lot less things. Um, so that's, and I just see so many more applications of that top, that digital wallet technology um, that's gonna simplify, you know, simplify uh, the world going forward. As long as we can keep security, privacy and identity, you know, top of mind. Yeah, here it's it's a bit mixed here. It depends on what city you live in. But I personally have found through winter, I carried a phone and my keys and that was it because I had pockets. But now that we're going into summer and I need to carry my sunglasses around, I find that I'm pulling out the handbag and shoving the purse back in there again just so there's something more than a pair of sunglasses. Exactly. So we need to we need to fix the sunglass problem. <laughs> yeah, I know. And that they finally fixed um, face ID. You can still you can have your glasses and even sunglasses on, and it'll open your phone. So that's pretty cool yeah. um, evolution. And the second. Um, the second, so I, I just realized I said two things, but I was thinking number one on the personal front, um, digital wallet. Um, another area that I think I'm just excited about, maybe it's also in the in the personal front too, um, you know, creating gathering experiences um, remotely and at home. Now, more than anyone else, I am so glad that the world has opened up. We can convene and collaborate and there's nothing like breaking bread, whether it's with a family member, a colleague, meeting people in real life. Um, so that's first and foremost. But what I've loved about the acceleration of digital transformation during the COVID era is the productivity um, that you can get to get stuff done. So I'll give one real example of that. So I mentioned I have three kids. They are all big into sports. They play soccer, they play basketball, they play football. I, before COVID, I would struggle with one, can I even make it to any of the games because I got work to do and I'm in the office <laughs> or I'm traveling to a customer meeting. So I'm even in town to see the games in person. 
Then when I was in town to see the games, the second issue became, well, my daughter and my son both have a game and they overlap and they, I physically can't be two places at once. So then you're deciding between kid A and kid B, which is never fun. Um, what really grew in popularity was the ability to have streamed games, um, football, soccer, um, basketball, not just we're used to that for, you know, professional sports, of course, or even college level sports, but now they're doing it. You could be in the smallest rec league in your town with seven-year-olds playing soccer and they're streaming that game. And so I literally had times where I might have a Zoom that I was listening in for work going on and I had my son's game or my daughter's game streaming on my iPad and I could keep my eye on how they were doing. And when they came home, I can say, yep, mommy was able to see you score that basket or score that goal. And um, that's the technology that um, I, I hope they continue to refine. As you can imagine, you know, playing basketball, it's hard for the automated cameras to keep up with the actions. So sometimes there's blind spots and you miss a key play. But as that technology evolves, it's going to give a really great way for parents who have precious time on their minds to really support their kids and uh, be there when they can't be there. Uh, Vanessa, I'm taking notes because I have... <laughs> I have a 12-year-old and 14-year-old, two daughters, both play basketball like six days a week. And on fr tonight, actually, I will be spending two hours on a bus with my daughter to go to a game while my other daughter plays in Melbourne. So I'm sitting here going, I'll be asking the husband to FaceTime or Zoom or something <laughs> so I can still watch the game. Something. It'll be manual, something. though. He'll have to stand there. There'll be no, no automatic tracking going on for our games, I think. That would be awesome. That's level one maturity. That's good. But it's <laughs> we'll get there. It's take off even more. We'll get there. Absolutely. What is the best advice you've received from a mentor or coach that has served you well? Oh, mentors and coaches, man, I can't tell you how much folks who've, who have played that role in my career have meant. And I'll say mentors, coaches, and I think we're all adopting that vernacular of sponsor. Um, which takes it to the next level where they're not only providing advice and a sounding board, but really saying if it's someone in your company or someone in your industry, they're going to actually sponsor you and help you reach your goals directly. So I'll just kind of round that out to be mentors, coaches, and sponsors, because I've had had quite a few amazing ones. And I hopefully I'm an amazing one to, to the people in my um, in my circle as well. But I'd say one of my first mentors and coaches um, were my parents. And one of the things that they instilled in me, I'll go back to an earlier question you asked me um, around learning and curiosity. So doing your homework, being educated and showing up prepared, um, that has served me well my entire life. I was the I was the girl who probably stayed up that extra hour studying for the test just in case. They were going to put that extra credit question on there that asked about the last story in the book that nobody ever read in your textbook. Um, so I've kind of carried that through. And that was really the advice of my parents. It was be prepared, do the extra work, go that extra mile, and you're really going to stand out. Um, then I'll take myself to the next set of coaches and mentors that I had more in the education and school realm. Um, be visible, ask questions. Um, I always had a strategy to sit in the front of the class and on the first couple of days of class, ask a question or two, because, you know, we 
don't realize that the professors or the teachers are also nervous on their first day. And if they have an engaged student who's there into the content and engaging with them, you've all, all of a sudden become their ally as well. And it's really great to start from a position of, oh, class participation, the teacher likes you, then you can have your time later in the se semester to maybe slack off because you didn't have time and you're not working from behind. So that was kind of a second great advice in my um, educational career. And then I think about in my, my work career, um, two things. Um, one is how much relationships matter. People do business with, people want to see people who succeed who they have a relationship with. And that's whether you're a customer, whether you're a colleague, um, et cetera. So building those relationships um, is so key that transcend the actual transaction you might do together, you know, really caring about that person on the other side of the table, understanding what motivates them, what's going on with them. Um, and so really that relationship building and relationship forming and true caring um, in the business world has been a great, um, great piece of advice. And the other, and this maybe ties back to the advice I say I got from my parents around be prepared, et cetera, was you know, thinking two steps ahead and avoiding the unforced errors. Um, some of you might know, or I'll just share that one of my pieces of my career trajectory at SAP was Bill McDermott's chief of staff. And I watched that guy just operate at a functional level that you can't even imagine, right? Always on point, always prepared, always polished great listener, great relationship builder, get stuff done. And he makes it look so effortless. Effortless, But the reason behind the scenes that people don't see is that he put the infrastructure in place. Um, he was always thinking two steps ahead. So if he was going into a customer meeting, before that meeting, we had the outline of the thank you note ready to go. Now, of course, we tweaked it based on what actually happened in that session or the meeting but we were getting out notes of thank you within two or three hours of a customer meeting because we were thinking two steps ahead. And then the second part of that is the uh, avoiding the unforced errors. Kat, as you know, there's so many things that can go wrong with anything in the work world, whether it's a customer meeting, whether it's a presentation on stage, whether it's getting to the airport and getting your travel all coordinated, being on a Zoom while you're getting on the plane and all of that. Um, I think about that advice to avoid the unforced errors. Make sure all that stuff that should be easy doesn't go wrong because something else that's way more important and way more strategic where you need to be agile and on your feet, if you lay those foundational stuff in place for the, what should be the easy stuff, it's going to give you a chance to be more agile, more quick, more innovative with the stuff that matters. And so that's why I will go that extra mile to make sure things are, okay, I'm traveling to see this customer on this day. Let me make sure all these foundational pieces are set up so that in that last mile, I can focus on, oh my gosh, I got a curveball. This customer person persona is not going to be there, but this other person's going to be there. And I'm not panicking around the stuff I could have done in advance. And I can really focus on being agile and on my feet. So it's hard to do all the time, but I always try to take take that in with me as I'm preparing for things in the business world. And those are things that I picked up away along the way from mentors, coaches, and sponsors. That's some awesome advice. Um, and I particularly love the advice around, you know, asking questions and being present, especially in the virtual world, because I think 
There's nothing worse than presenting to a group of people online who don't ask a question because you feel like no one's listening. And if you're the person that asks a really intelligent question, that's actually going to build rapport and relationship with the person that's speaking. They'll remember that. Absolutely. And it shows a little bit of empathy too with the person on the other side. Because we've all been in that situation when we're the person delivering the information and then it's crickets coming back. So I always think about the good karma too, when you're that person that's thinking about the person on the other side um, to really help open that door to that great dialogue that we're always trying to generate and form. What fuels you outside of work? Uh, Well, I talked a lot about my family. you know, in this this world, there's a lot to be optimistic about, but we all have our good days and our bad days. And some days when I'm having those days that are a little bit on the downside, um, I think about my kids. I think about um, how important their lives are and, and the foundation that me and my husband and my family and friends and the community and the village around us. Um, is. And so whenever I'm feeling down, I'm like, gosh, this is all about them and empowering them to live their best lives. So think about, you know, that day that your daughter or your son's waking up in the morning and they're like, oh, I'm not feeling good about this test or I had a bad night. And I'm like, let me power through this um, and show some of that, of that resilience and grit, but also some grace. Um, so my family and thinking about them um, really does fuel me to kind of Sometimes I have to say to myself, keep moving forward one step ahead. It might, this night might not be the day where you run the fastest race, but you're going to move forward, even if it's one inch. And my family really does fuel me um, in that thinking. The other thing that, that fuels me, um, you know, outside of my family and work is, you know, making the world a better place. And again, going back to empowering others to live their their best lives. And that could mean different things to, to different folks. And for me, the topic or the passion item that fuels me is around the topic of education. I truly believe when you give people the opportunity to have an education, that is the true equalizer. And whether they decide to be in tech or corporate America, a teacher, a police officer, an entertainer, um, whatever they decide to be, a volunteer, an entrepreneur, um, if you give them that foundational um, education, um, they can choose their path and their passion and empower them to be the best they can be. And so I've really tried to lean in in my spare time, looking into the education system and equality of education, whether you come from a rich background or a poor background, whether your parents had a chance to go to college or not, how can you have access to those great educational opportunities so that you can live out your passion and dream, whatever that looks like. And that really fuels me because I think uh, that's what's gonna fuel this world going forward. And also a little bit of empathy for those around us in this world. questions to wrap up. What's your favorite book or podcast? Favorite book or podcast? Um, so I'm going I'm to answer the question a little differently. So a book that I'm excited about reading um, is just came out yesterday. It's by Michelle Obama, the first lady to President Obama. She wrote a book about 
four or five years ago called Becoming. And it was about her childhood growing up in the south side of Chicago, which is a little bit of a, you know, known to be a rougher, rougher side of town and how her 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 parents instilled in her um, education and work ethic. And she obviously ascended to be a great professional and person in her own right. But she also met this guy named Barack Obama, who became the president of the United States and how she still um, allowed herself to be a great mother and individual in her own right and support him, but also per- herself um, first as well and not lose herself in that power dynamic. So I learned a lot from that book. And today, or actually yesterday in the mail, I got um, her second book and I'm gonna pick it up here. I know you can't see me from my desk, um, under my desk called The Light We Carry. And that's her second book. And I'm so excited to kind of read about kind of her journey post the White House. Um, so that's a book that I'm most excited about reading next. I'm taking a couple of days off for Thanksgiving here in the US next week. And hopefully I'll be on the beach a little bit. And I, I really hope to make a, a good chunk um, of progress on that book. Um, podcast wise, I'm going to have to say my favorite podcast is one that my 18 year old son um, launched about six months ago. It's called Tap In DNB. And Tap In is a basketball term. He's really into basketball, he plays. And D stands for his friend Dean, and he's Blake. So tap in D, Dean, and Blake. And they just get on every, I'd say, two weeks. And they talk about what's going, in, going on in the NBA, which is the, you know, the professional basketball league. Um, they talk about high school basketball, college basketball. They have fun debates on who's the greatest player of all time, Michael Jordan or LeBron James. Or they talk about current players. And they also talk about culture and the thing that's going on in that basketball hip hop culture. And it's really great to see him come into his own. So I'm going to give a big shout out, go on to Spotify and check out tap in D and B if you're a basketball fan and you're interested in an 18 year old or 18 to 20 year olds perspective. That's absolutely awesome. Um, on the Michelle Obama book, read her first one. Absolutely loved it. I didn't know she'd written a second one. And for everyone listening, Vanessa really did just pick up a cardboard box that's literally just been ripped open <laughs> to prove that she just got the book. Um, I had the pleasure of seeing her speak a couple of years ago and I loved it because it would, it would have been like a thousand very senior executives in the room and she came in standing ovation just because she walked into the room. But she came in with 40 uh, school kids. And she sat them right at the front in front of all these very senior, you know, relatively important people because she also is very passionate and believes in education. And she wanted, and um, it was a group of young girls, she wanted them all to see Michelle Obama speak on stage. And I just thought that was beautiful. It was a great sign of a, a true leader and someone that cares and wants to give back. Absolutely. So I'll be putting that second book down. And um, thanks for the podcast because I've got a two-hour bus trip tonight. So with a whole basketball crew, we'll stick it on the radio. <laughs> uh, best, best movie or TV show to binge watch? So binge watching, I think we all did a lot of that over the pandemic. It slowed down for me a little bit, but there's two types of things I like to binge watch. I'll give one example and one just type of genre. Um, so I am on season four of Ozark. Um, I don't know if that's popular in your part of the world, but it's it a very is. kind of dark but interesting drama 
um, about a really interesting set of characters. And this is the fourth, and I don't think it's the final season, but it's been out for about six months. So I'm behind the eight ball in terms of getting through it. And I'm on like episode 10 of 13. So that's another thing I aspire to get done over Thanksgiving next week is finish out season four of Ozark. Um, but in general, and, and hopefully you guys still respect me after I say this, but I tend to like to binge watch reality TV. Why? It's escapism. Um, you don't really have to focus too much. Like I find myself on Ozark, like I'll, if I don't get through the full episode and I come back the next day, I'll want to rewind and make sure I didn't miss anything. Reality TV, you could miss a full 10, 15 minutes and you're okay. Um, one of the reality TV shows that I'm, I'm watching now is The Amazing Race. Um, and that's where couples or a group of pair, they travel around the world and they do these races. You get to know about the cultures across the world and they're doing these really crazy um, challenges. And whoever gets to the end of this five or six week race first you know, wins a million dollars or something, but it's also an interesting look into human relationships, under stress, fatigue, um, teamwork versus competition. And that's been on TV for like 20 plus years, but it still gets me. So reality TV and Ozark season four. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on the reality TV to check out. Um, we live very busy intellectual lives and sometimes it's nice to just not have to think. Exactly. Uh, final question, a place everyone must visit in their lifetime. Gosh, you picked the one. I, 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 I was like, gosh, there's so many potential answers there, but not one place that sticks out. But I'll give you a place, my happy place. Um, if I had a just a long weekend to get away and it wasn't anywhere in the world, my favorite place to go is the Caribbean um, and specifically the island of Jamaica. Um, it is a, a beautiful culture. Um, the music, I love reggae music. I don't know if any Bob Marley fans out there um, that just put you in a good um, put you in a good mood. Um, you feel the vibes of the islands, beautiful white sands and blue ocean, and multiple cities in the country, whether it's Montego Bay, Negril, Ocho Rios, where you can connect with the locals, um, but also get that luxury part of the getaway if you want that too. And so that's my go-to if I got those three days and I have a little money in my pocket and a little time on my hands, that's my go-to spot. And I recommend if you haven't been to Jamaica, it's definitely worth a, worth a visit. Love that. Well, Vanessa, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you for joining and sharing your story. Thank you. It was so fun. I really appreciate you having me. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Make sure to join our LinkedIn group and continue the conversation and connect with all of our guests on the show. You can find us on the ANZW podcast homepage, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And if you know someone with a great story to share, drop us a note. We would love to hear from you. Have a great week and we will see you next time. Mm -hmm.